to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. There is no doubt that sports teams have a huge reach with fans all over the globe following their teams passionately through apps, OTT streaming and social channels. The norm is for teams to be bound to their home country while travelling domestically for away fixtures. However, there are some sports and teams that travel the globe competing and that includes cycling. While some teams may yearn for the ability to take their sport across the globe and engage with non-domestic markets, it does come with its own unique set of challenges. Welcome to Inside Sponsorship and Episode 65. Happy New Year. I'm your host, Daniel Oyston, and it is great to have you tuning into the first show of 2019. Founded in 2017, Bahrain Merida Pro Cycling Team is one of the first cycling teams to be based in the Middle East. Kolya Korachuk is the brand director at Bahrain Merida Pro Cycling Team, and he joins us later on in the show to discuss how the team has established its commercial program. It is a great chat, and they've done some really cool things for their sponsors, which I know you'll love hearing about. Now, we haven't had many shout-outs of late, but I am pleased to say that we have three this time. The first is from Mike Barouche, General Manager, Partnerships, Administration and Operations at Australian Hotels Association in Victoria. And Mike got in contact to simply say, thank you for creating such valuable content on the podcast. Jean Williers, a long-time listener of the show, sent me a message to say, really great podcast, mate, listening to you from South Africa, working for Nielsen Sports. Very interesting topics and guest speakers that you interview. Great stuff. And finally, Richard Hughes, another long-time listener, got in contact to say, hi, Daniel, I thought I would give you an update and how your podcasts are now so relevant and timely. My last message to you was 18 months ago, but since then, I moved to Queensland and took an initial role in the disability sector. But as of the 14th of January 2019, I take over the CEO role of the Ipswich Jets Rugby League Club. I never in a million years thought your podcast, while entertaining and educational, would suddenly be so relevant to me as our search for some significant sponsors before the season commences continues. So weirdly, without knowing it, you have empowered me to take on this position and the only pain is starting back at episode one again to see what I miss. That's so cool, Richard. It is awesome to think that the podcasts that we produce have played a small part in helping you get to your new role. Congratulations and good luck. Thanks again to Mike, Jean and Richard for getting in contact. It is so lovely to hear from any of you, in fact, about how you find the show useful. So please do get in contact, even if it is just to say hi, and I'll be sure to give you a shout out on the show. In this show, this time around, Daniel Ferguson-Hill, Sponserve's commercial manager for Australasia, has taken a look at and blogged about the changing face of sponsorship deals and what the next generation looks like. Here's Daniel. Daniel, welcome to the show. How was your Christmas? You can't tell me you were surprised to unwrap another piece of coal. <laughs> no, thanks, Daniel, for having me. And uh, no, this time around, uh, I actually got uh, an awesome book from my fiance's family, uh, and it was on the, the great sporting scandals on the road to redemption. Uh, so if, if you're a tragic like me, uh, that one was really hard to put down. Very good. Now, your latest blog talks about how we buy and sell sponsorship and how it's changing. And as an industry, we've been talking about it for a while now, but you've taken a look at the financial aspects because they're not something that have been spoken about a lot, have they? Yeah, that's right. And it's something I wanted to lift the lid on coming into 2019 because as as an industry, we've come to automatically accept a really traditional way of financial modelling around sponsorship deals and this being where a brand pays a fixed fee and the rights holder gives them access to a suite of benefits. If it's a top-tier sporting team event or attraction, then it's highly likely there's a pretty standardised bonus scheme in there for a rights holder if certain milestones are reached. So no doubt that probably sounds familiar to a lot of listeners, uh, but it got me thinking, what if we flipped it? What if the milestones were the linchpin of the deal? Um, what if we, or sorry, what we really need to unpack is rather than paying a fixed fee, what if brands only paid for results? And and what I'm talking about here is incentivized sponsorship deals. But incentivized sponsorship deals aren't new, are they? Why is it that we're now starting to see brands actually taking this approach really seriously? Yeah, you, no, they're not new. And the concept's been around for a while. And chances are most of the listeners are probably 
dabbled in it at some point in time. AB InBev is in the US are probably the biggest brand, um, which we can use as an example of late to completely reinvigorate how they negotiate and structure sponsorship deals rather than paying a fixed fee year on year, regardless of how the rights holder performs in delivering benefits. Their deals have begun moving toward investment levels being determined by the outcomes achieved with the rights holder. And, and Coca-Cola are doing something similar. Uh, they suggested recently that they've got an eye on this approach and will start to be doing the same in the coming years. Our industry is notorious for watching what the rest of the industry does first. Uh, and because of this, we've been stuck in this traditional modelling phase for so long. So it's actually going to take some sort of serious effort uh, and a bit of risk for this to start paying off. No doubt there would also be a little bit of fear attached to this concept because it brings so much uncertainty for both sides from the outset if they've never done it before. So if two of the world's biggest sponsoring brands are taking this seriously, I would dare say the snowball effect shouldn't take too long to kick in. Okay, so how does that actually affect both sides of the deal, the rights holder and the sponsoring brand? So let's say I'm talking to a CMO or a head of sponsorship at a brand, and it's the old saying, you you get what you pay for. An incentive-based approach to your sponsorship is likely to de-risk the investment to a certain degree. With that said, you also need to be prepared to pay for results. And Q, that's probably where your finance team are likely to go on a roller coaster of emotions. (laughs) (laughs) But regardless of your size, your budget, or your general brand presence, you're involved in sponsorship for the exact same reason as any other brand. And that's to achieve certain outcomes and and objectives, of course. If you were to adopt this approach, then you immediately begin to align your sponsorship deals with very specific and unique objectives. That allows you, therefore, to evaluate and analyse every aspect of the deal at any given time. So on a strategic level, and if you're not doing it already, you can start to analyse both ROI and ROO side by side due to an ability to view objectives, costs, results, all next to one another. So this is not only looks great in an exec or a board report, but it also helps you take full control of the sponsorship reporting and budgeting side of things. And if you're asking questions around whether you should be doing more with the rights holder because everything's working or maybe even if the rights holder isn't performing, then you should try and give this a go. But with that, all that said, and on the flip side, if you're a rights holder and you're still listening to this, chances are there's alarm bells going off in the background. Uh, so it's a, you know, don't panic. Uh, they need to discard the thought of having to work even harder to achieve that dollar figure in the budget that the board has set because the approach of incentivized, incentivized sponsorship deals work both ways. And what I mean by that is, If you sell sponsorship on the premise that a brand is going to achieve certain objectives, you effectively position yourself to scale the deal without any major limits. Doing that again, you leave yourself quite vulnerable to a certain extent. If your assets perform the way you sell them, you shouldn't have any issues. But if they don't achieve the desired results, then it allows you to learn, review and make changes accordingly. This will be a pretty challenging notion for a board to understand on the rights holder side because it doesn't mean fixed dollars every year. Their challenge is to educate them on the potential scale uh, the deal might have should everyone work together effectively. If they're going to trial it, start with a base fee that covers the cost of the assets you need to deliver. If you're going to put a margin on it, try and keep it to an absolute minimum as well. So done right, that all sounds very promising for both sides of the fence. How do we actually make this work? Can you maybe walk us through uh, an, an example with some numbers in it? Yeah, yeah, sure. So let's uh, let's put a hypothetical scenario. Let's say uh, I'm rights holder A and you're brand B. So during negotiations, uh, I propose a deal for $15,000. This deal includes digital and activation benefits. You then tell me from a brand point that you will or you want to achieve certain objectives around digital and engagement for both benefits. Uh, for discussion's sake, let's say that for digital, success is reaching 100,000 impressions and increasing specific web page time by 30 seconds. And maybe for activations, they want to have 50% foot traffic and move past the activation. Uh, they might want 100 participants wearing branded merchandise as well. Rather than charging a fixed fee of $15,000, irrespective of results, 
why not try the incentivized approach? And this is being, you know, charge a, a $10,000 base fee to access the digital uh, and any other benefits. Then what you do is you add a $1,000 incentive for every time a minimum threshold has been achieved for an objective. So if we stay on digital uh, and the impressions objective as the prime example here, rather than just aiming for 100,000 impressions, we set that as the minimum threshold and then let the incentives kick in uh, if it goes high. So, you know, fingers crossed, and if recording goes to plan, I would charge that $1,000 for, for every 20,000 impressions above the minimum threshold because I'm doing exactly what I want to do uh, and, and deliver that the way that it should be. This is where we really start to work together. So let's say, for example, uh, we've reached 140,000 impressions. We think, great, awesome, happy days. This allows us to cash in on the $2,000, but it also means that you've kicked goals on your side because you're reaching a whole lot of new people or a greater amount of people, I should say. If you think about this closely and apply incentives and thresholds appropriately, you can start to see how this actually benefits both the brand and the rights holder because they can scale it how they want to. They can scale this with added objectives. Um, the brand might pay more, but you know they're also achieving way above their expectations. But there's no room for hiding or bluffing in this type of deal or negotiation, is there? No, there isn't. And, and this type of deal really puts everything out on the table for both parties. If you try it for the first time, it might feel a little bit awkward and, and bring a sense of vulnerability. Uh, but it's important to remember that the other party's probably going through exactly the same thing as well. It's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. However, it's only a matter of time until this starts gaining critical mass. Um, I don't know about you, but if I was back in the game, I would probably try and make the first move on this, uh, regardless of whether I was a brand or a rights holder. Um, and that's simply because I would be able to set expectations first. I think that is some great advice. And listeners, if you'd like to read through that example and the wider points that Daniel has just spoken about, head along to the resources section at sponserve.net. Now, Daniel, do you have any trips in the next month or so that you want to let people know about if they'd like to catch up for a coffee or maybe a sandwich and talk shop? Uh, I'm in Sydney for a little while. We had a pretty big finish to 2018. So it's uh, I think the first few weeks are getting on top of things and then potentially Melbourne and Auckland uh, in the coming months. Very good. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, mate. Talk soon. Bahrain Merida Pro Cycling Team is one of the first cycling teams to be based in the Middle East. And the project started almost four years ago with a simple, casual bike ride in the desert of Bahrain between His Highness Sheikh Nasser and Vincenzo Nibali. In 2017, the team was founded through a consortium of business partners from Bahrain and Merida, one of the major and most trusted cycling companies in the world. Kolya Korachuk is the brand director at Bahrain Merida Pro Cycling Team. Kolya and the team had a blank canvas of sorts to work with when establishing a brand new commercial program. And it's fascinating to have a chat and one I really enjoyed as there are lots of interesting angles and approaches that they've taken, including the consistency consideration of the royal family's involvement, the attraction of a superstar like Vincenzo Nibali and what that provides, as well as a really great execution of a sponsor photo book. Here's Kolya. Kolya Korachuk, welcome to the show. We always start off with a few easy icebreaker questions just to get the chat started to ease into it. And your first icebreaker question is, if you were warming up for the individual time trial stage at the Tour de France, what type of music, what genre would be on your playlist as you were on the warm-up bike? And what is the first song you'd add to that playlist? Well, first, thanks for putting me in situation that I'm on a Tour de France time trial. That's really a uh, good, good gesture for you. Uh, but, yeah, let's let's try to imagine what I would do. I'm a bit of a world school guy, rock and roll, uh, so I would probably have a rock and roll playlist with uh, edit of some motivational songs. So let's say I would start with the Foo Fighters, uh, pretend, the song Pretender that talks about being like no other, never surrender. So that that's something that will pump me up. And it's upbeat. It starts easy, but it goes upbeat just for like first song. It'll be, you know, ideal. And then, you know, the Iron Man song, I mean, Iron Man triathlon, not the, the movie. So it goes, uh, it's, it's, it's Standing in the Hall of Fame, I think it's called. You can be the greatest, you can be the best. So that's another one that I'll probably finish with before going into time trial. So 
it'll be mostly rock, rock and roll. Outstanding. Love the Foo Fighters and I love The Pretender. It's a cracking choice for first song. Your second icebreaker question is, we all know that cyclists love their coffee. After or even mid-ride, if you were to stop at the cafe, what sort of coffee are you ordering and why? Yes, cyclists are famous for coffee breaks, especially the amateurs. I wouldn't think I wouldn't think uh, professionals do that during the races. But uh, cycling in Bahrain tends to be a little bit different than around because during the whole year it's hot, and so instead of coffee breaks, when we go for a cycle, we usually have uh, water breaks. We even uh, uh, schedule our route based on a water stop that we have, the cold stores or gas station, and 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 things because you can't go on a cycle uh, for more than 45 minutes without refilling your two bidons of, of water in the summer and I mean when I say summer that stretches from March till October uh, and that's when we tend to go cycle in early in the morning at 4 a.m. so we beat the heat but still you have water so I wouldn't say we stop for coffee breaks we stop for a water break or Gatorade or those energy drinks but at the end of the ride, uh, I have, again, something different. It's not coffee. I drink uh, something called Berry Blast, which is a milkshake or a yogurt shake with the berry flavors. And it comes really ice-ice cold. So when you take a sip, it, it, we call it a gray freeze. It's just so cold and refreshing. So that's, that's my thing. I'm not a big coffee drinker, but yeah, this is my routine. Like uh, after the the right go for a better blast. Excellent. That sounds very refreshing. Now, Kolya, you are the brand director at Bahrain Merida Pro Cycling Team. For those not familiar with professional cycling, can you just briefly outline how the team competes across a year? Let's make it short. Uh, I would say if you're not familiar with cycling, let's compare it to Formula 1 and tennis. Formula 1, because we have teams, uh, same as in Formula One that compete at the races, but tennis because the, the uh, ranking goes by individual riders. Okay, we have team ranking, but individual ranking is more more important. So the difference between Formula One and cycling is because different cycling teams have different uh, schedule of the races, so they don't race all the same races, and then by by the determination of the, those races, you see who's the winner. So you have to put some point system together, like in uh, in, in tennis. Uh, there's 18 teams in in let's call it first division of cycling, which is called the uh, World Tour Pro, Pro Tour. Uh, and those 18 teams, they have schedule. They they have to race, and then they they have a schedule of races they potentially could enter. That's why they have different different schedule and different. They don't compete always on the same level. In uh, in those races that they have to race, there's also some second division which is called Pro Continental that that uh, they compete as well as an invitation to those races. So it's a bit complicated, but at the end, uh, 80 teams compete compete uh, who's going to win most races. Some teams uh, have different goals. So let's say Team Sky last few years they had a goal of winning Tour de France or going for Grand Tours and Grand Tours are something like Grand Slams so uh, there's four Grand Slams there's three Grand Tours everyone knows Tour de France then there's Giro d'Italia and Vuelta España so some teams are made for Grand Tours those are uh, three week races and the team made of eight riders are made for just for the main rider the, the captain of the team to win that race. While some other teams, like let's say Quick Step, is the team that won last year or this year, still current year, uh, probably 60 or 70 races. But they're not interested in, in Grand Tours. They put a you know, team that can win a stage in Grand Tour, but not the whole race. So different teams have, have different goals. It's uh, a bit different than Formula One, you're just going for a title, or tennis, you're going to be number one spot or for a Grand Slam. But here there's many more goals that you can achieve and you can build your season around uh, than in other sports i love those uh comparisons to a combination of f1 and tennis that's uh that's a fantastic way of explaining how cycling works around the world what's been your background and experience leading up to your role now and how does your that current role incorporate sponsorship management so i come from design advertising background i 
I went to school in the States, finished as graphic designer, worked my way around to art director, creative director. Uh, lastly, I worked in Ogilvy in Bukhain, uh for about two years before uh, I met my current boss, who works for Sheikh Nasser. And he came with the... Uh, he, told, he, he told me that, you know, Sheikh Nasser has a idea about starting a team, and uh, could I help him? So uh, I always wanted to work in sports. I I was involved in designing many brands in uh, Croatian football, in uh, baseball, in uh, AFL Europe. I designed and helped many AFL, uh, so Aussie Rules football, uh, European teams and leagues and events and everything. So that was my goal, to start uh, working in, in sports. And uh, this opportunity came. My current boss met me at one of the actually time trials that I raised in Bahrain. And because we speak the same language, he's Slovenian, I'm Croatian, but we speak a similar language. Uh, we started talking about just generic stuff, and then he told me he could use my help in uh, designing a proposal for sponsors uh, for the new team that Chief Master is trying to put. So I'm like, yep, I can help you with that. He also needed some help with the content to put in a sponsorship. I helped him with the presentations and everything. And uh, one one thing uh, to other led to him offering a job, which was, you know, dream come true to work in sports, which uh, probably most people that are listening to this are either in or want to be in. So, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a great ride so far, and I really enjoyed this, uh, this job. And... Uh, Working with sponsors came as a necessity, as uh, I'm the only person that represents the team in the space in Bahrain. So one of my jobs here in Bahrain now is also to take care of all Bahrain sponsors, whatever their, their needs, to go meet with them and uh, do presentations about return of investment that we do at the end of every year, different stuff that involves all the sponsor organizing events and that kind of stuff. Outstanding. So you've been there from the start, some great skills that were there right from the start to help build the team. And now, you know, those things that you spoke about, helping the team build out their portfolios and and now managing sponsors. Let's set the scene a little bit. Can you outline what your sponsorship portfolio looks like in terms of the number of sponsors and how you level them and things like that? Yes. Uh, When when we first started, we, we... Gave presentation to Bahraini sponsors. So it all started with, with uh, his highness Sheikh Nasser. Uh, then my boss and I went to present to main uh, companies in Bahrain, so main banks and telecommunication, and uh, probably there was about twenty companies that we presented in two different instances. And uh, out of those twenty, few seventeen actually agreed to become our sponsors. So when we had that said, that was Start of the team, we signed uh, with Anthony Bali, which is one of the greatest riders nowadays. I would say, maybe I'm biased, but yeah, he's one of the better ones. He won all all three Grand Tours. Not too many riders can you know say that. And then when we signed Nibali, many Italian sponsors came on board because, of course, everybody wants to be associated with Nibali. So that was that was the plan. Uh, when we signed Nibali, we signed other riders who wanted to ride with Nibali. So it was all part of the plan. But to divide the sponsors, what we have, uh, so on the jersey we have, you know, our name is Bahrain Merida. We have Bahrain and Merida. Bahrain basically is consortium of all the Bahraini sponsors. So they they gave uh, funds to have Bahrain name on the jersey, not their individual names. So they all put together in one pool to have Bahrain on the jersey. While, excuse me, <laughs> while Papco, uh, is obviously the one that gave the most, and we we honor them to put in their logo on, on the jersey. Babco is behind Petroleum Company, uh, so they they are one of the main main sponsors out of those behind sponsors. Then Merida, of course, it's a Taiwanese uh, bike brand, second biggest bike brand in the world. Uh, there are second title sponsors, uh, and then if we put. Uh, in some kind of a ranking, then 16 behind the sponsors after Babco come on the next level. We have uh, top-level sponsors that are European, so those are seven sponsors that are uh, our kit producer and uh, shoe producer and free-time clothing. 
so we separate those sponsors a little bit. And then we have 36 of different sponsors on, of all different kinds, even uh, some sponsors just given kind, not the not the money. And uh, yeah, I do think we have too many sponsors when we look at the buses of different teams. They look much neater with <laughs> less sponsors, but you know, it's uh, they probably jealous of us that we have so many sponsors. I look from design perspective. <laughs> so yeah, we we got a lot of lot of sponsors, and uh, it's been like this for both years. And coming into third years, it's it's not looking any different. It's going to stay with big number of sponsors. And what are your views on the cycling sponsorship market over the past few years? Is it one that is becoming tougher to operate in or is it growing and more brands are looking to sponsor in the space? I think there's fluctuation in recent years, but I I do think I I have to think positive. In recent years, it seems more and more companies are coming back to cycling. I think when uh, in this last hours of scandal, it shocks our sponsors, but now it looks much, much brighter. That being said, again, Team Sky just announced that they're, uh, not Team Sky, sorry, Sky Company announced that they're coming out of cycling after next season, which uh, they're probably one of the biggest sponsors in cycling. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, on the same day, we announced that McLaren is coming in and they're a top-notch automotive brand and they decided to take on cycling sponsorship. So I I do think that uh, there's fluctuation and it's normal, especially when you compare with other sports, like let's say in football. Football is in the same same basket, but because the teams don't have sponsors' name in their name, people don't notice those, cha- those changes. Uh, many of the major football teams change sponsors on the jersey every year. So Cycling, it's more visible because you carry that name. So uh, in the last few years, cycling overtook golf as a number two recreational sport. And that, that of course, running is number one recreational sport. And that took, uh, that, that took interest. Uh, that showed also at the pro cycling level that cycling grew as a sport. Uh, and brands recognizing that. So uh, before you had teams with one sponsor name, like let's say Liquid Guts, and that particular team now is called EF Education First Draft Pack, powered by Cannondale. So now three sponsors are in the name of the team. It's a bit long name, but you know they're all fighting to be sponsors of a cycling team. Uh, when Bahrain and UAE entered pro cycling two years ago, uh, a lot of people and media were quick to judge that this will hurt cycling in the long run uh, with wide disparity with team budgets thinking, you know, oil, oil-rich oil country are coming in. Uh, but so far, everything stayed the same. Uh, recently, there have been a big increase in athlete salary in mainstream sports like football and basketball. But that is due to the rising revenue from TV deals, merchandise sales, and tickets. Cycling has high cost of TV production since its outdoor event and uh, moves, starts, and finishes on a daily basis. So, you know, that's different than being at a stadium and has no gate, gate revenue. Uh, while merchandise culture between fans is not as big as in some American pro sports or AFL or European football. So the only thing that can dictate at, uh, the athlete's salary is sponsor revenue. And uh, all we have to all we have to think inside the team is how to produce ROI for, for our sponsors. And as much as we can do, that sponsor will, will come back. So, you know, in cycling, we have to be positive. Otherwise, why are we in this sport? What are we doing here unless we think, you know, Positive, and I do think that trend is going uh, positive with signing McLaren and uh, many teams having sponsors. Some teams like BMC pulled it, but then new teams raised like CCC. Uh, so it's, I would say, a trend is positive. Cycling has grown to have quite a presence in the Middle East, but its history is in Europe. Your main partners are heavily dominated by Middle Eastern companies, particularly at the top end. What's their motivation in sponsoring the team? Is it to help support and promote Bahrain to the world, or are they looking to gain exposure outside of the Middle East? When it comes to Bahrain sponsors, we have to understand the culture here. While in Europe... People and kids will put a photos, posters on the wall of Ronaldo and Vicenzo Nibali, LeBron James, or I don't know, Lady Gaga, all those uh, pop, you know, pop heroes. 
Uh, here at different kids and grown-ups here will put photos of king, crown prince, and prime minister on the walls or on the car windows as a see-through stickers. That's who they see as a, as a hero. So local companies here love to associate with the royal family. As with that, they would get more businesses. So all our, all our sponsors love that the fact that the team is founded by Sheikh Nasser, Prince, and they love to be in the company. At least when we have this team presentation once a year, they love to come to this. They love to be around Sheikh Nasser. They love to take photo with him. You know, that's that's a highlight for that. So uh, I think that's, a, for some of them, that might be primary reason for sponsorship of for sponsoring our team. But then, little by little, some companies did understand what we are doing, how we are doing, that we are promoting the you know the whole country and that they could see bigger value in that, not just the Royal Association. So recently, some of the companies asked us to come for a meeting to see how could they use this sponsorship. We do, at the end of every season, make a presentation for our Bahraini sponsors talking about return of investment and our results on the road. And we, we tell them, you know, how we promote the name of Ukraine around the world. Uh, but they're yet to recognize the full potential of this sponsorship. So they still don't understand what cycling is and how big of an industry uh, sport is. So one sample is when uh, when I talk to uh, Bahrain Tourism and EDB, which is Economic Development Board of Bahrain, and I've been telling them about cycling, about uh, Tour de France, Giro, all the fans, uh, all the hype, how many uh, TV broadcasts, how many hours, all this stuff. And to them, at that point, it's just numbers. It's like, yeah, we're trying to make something out of nothing. But then we invited them for Giro for first five stages at uh, Sardinia and Sicily. And when they saw this, they just could not believe. They, they, they... They, their eyes were just wide open. They didn't know what's happening. They they didn't think... They thought this is football match, not cycling, because all they know about sport is, you know, Real Barcelona. That's it. Uh, when they came back to Bahrain, and when we would meet with someone else, they would be our best... Uh, what, do you call, what do you say? Influencers. You know, they would just talk about this experience with Giro d'Italia they had. Like it's the best in the world. The the difference between what they expected and what they saw was such a big difference that uh, we hope you know everyone in behind can understand that. But I guess you need to take everyone personally to the grace to understand. It's hard, but uh, yeah, the team, the sponsors need to understand the full potential of this uh, sport of this industry, and I hope it's going to happen sooner better than later. We'll come back to McLaren because that's one of the reasons I asked you to came, come on the show because that caught my eye, that announcement. But we'll, we'll, we'll come back to McLaren. Let's stay on the sponsor categories and, and the sponsors that you've had for a little while. You've got some common sponsor categories that we see across professional sports teams right across the world like banking, uh, apparel, telecommunications and automotive. But you don't have sponsors that I could see on your website like airlines and hotels. Is that just the way it's happened? or is that being deliberate? Uh, that's a great question, yes. Uh, we do have, I think, five banks and three telecoms, and those are all Bahraini companies. And while I can understand why five banks are sponsoring us from a commercial perspective, they have uh, many more banks in Bahrain, so they want to you know, make a difference. But I really do not understand why all three telecoms are sponsoring us. There's only three telecoms in Bahrain, and they're all sponsoring us. So what's the differentiation? What did they make, you know, out of that? Uh, so yeah, it's there's some different uh, reasons for for sponsoring. Uh, one of the main reasons of sponsoring Bahraini sponsors to us is uh, Royal Connection. So we are uh, our our founder is a, a royal family. His Highness Sheikh Nasser. He's the son of the king, and uh, many. Many teams wants to be many sponsors wants to be part of part of that. Why not hotels or airlines? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, there's no hotel sponsorship in cycling. There are a few tour operators, but no hotels. Uh, maybe that's from from the perspective that let's say if you're a football team, you go to 
major cities uh, in on the road games and all the hotel chains are there. You can stay there. You can have a sponsor, and you know you can promote the hotel while staying there and everything. But in cycling, you you go to Alps in some small villages. You change hotels every day. Uh, I guess that's one of the reasons why hotels are not so interested because can't promote them by going to those hotels. We usually stay in some small hotels uh, that are available around the start start or finish line. And that being said as well, the team, the race organizers organize uh, hotels for us. So if you're for three weeks at Tour de France, 18 teams have to stay at equal number star hotels. So if one night our team stays in four star and different teams the other team stays in three-star, next day it's going to switch. So we cannot choose where we're staying. We're staying where organized, organized and committed to us. So that's probably the cause why we don't have the hotel sponsors. As for airlines, uh, Bahrain's airline is Gulf Air. And this year they got a new CEO. And we did have a few meetings with, with him. So every time will come that we can sign them. Although they're not as big as as their Gulf counter, counterparts like uh, Fly, Fly Emirates and Etihad and uh, Qatar Airways. So, uh, yeah, we wish they're, they're doing better and maybe we can get them. No, ho- no hotels and no airlines yet, but you do have 11 different food and beverage sponsors. Is that because food companies have a really long association with cycling or is it more around the volume of food and beverages consumed by the team and the support staff and needing to offset the costs with value in kind? It's a little bit of both, I think. Uh, athletes eat a lot of food during races. They go through 3,000 calories during the day. But also chefs only make food for riders, not for for staff, so yeah, they—that's still that's a big amount of money that they let's say eat, but not that much. So uh, every little thing helps. So, yeah, why not have those sponsors? Uh, those com- those companies are really happy to have their logo on our bus or truck, and uh, they all ask for appearance of our riders to one of their events or inside of the factory, or they just ask for social media posts. Uh, a mention of any kind. So I, I view those sponsors more like, uh, I view them as a friendships, not as much as sponsors. It seems the owner is a big cycling fan or some of the owners or CEOs are uh, Nibali fans, let's say. So they are with us because of Nibali. And let's say ever Nibali leaves the team, I assume some of those companies would leave it as well and sign with Nibali's new team. But yeah, that, that that will never happen. Just uh, I'm just putting it in perspective. Uh, and also, it's interesting that most of those food companies that we have, they come from the same region in Italy, from Veneto. They're just like some of them are just kilometers apart. When I was driving there, like you would see them almost in the same scene. So I I really don't have an answer for that. Why why is that? How did we get them? Are they really just a big cycling fans in that region that? You know, they wanted to be part of the cycling team that has a lot of Italian uh, riders. You know, that's that's maybe the case. Very interesting. And you alluded earlier to McLaren coming on board, and that's why I got in contact with you uh, to invite you on the show because I saw your recent announcement on LinkedIn that McLaren is to become a joint venture partner in Bahrain Merida Pro Cycling Team. So congratulations on that. The partnership is rooted in three key areas, technical collaboration, human high performance and marketing and commercial services. Can you outline what all that means for the team? Um, yes, thanks for congratulations. We're really happy to have McLaren as a partner. It's a great news for us. Uh, it's great news for McLaren as well, for the sports of cycling, I think, as well. And as our GM said in the presentation, uh, this was probably the biggest news in cycling in the last decade. So uh, we, on the other hand, we are certain to see the that that sky is pulled out of the cycling, but we do hope that uh, McLaren will start a new trend of sponsorship, or should I say partnership, as they will not only fund the team in return for exposure of one of those eight core objectives, awareness, networking, you know, sales, whatever, but 
they'll offer their know-how to help the team develop in different ways. So I really do hope that, you know, that's the future of sponsorship, that, you know, teams will partner with someone who can give them a little bit more. Uh, and with McLaren, we do have many similarities. They're both racing teams. We both use wheels and technology. And we're both powered by people, man and machine, in both cases. So uh, we also have a similar vision. We are both competitive and are aiming for, to win the races, which is probably cliche when talking about sports teams. But it does help when uh, help that we are determined, motivated, and have passion for racing. Uh, we know a lot about cycling, and they expertise in technology that can help help cycling teams. Uh, John Allard, which is their marketing director, he said at the sponsorship announcement in Huar last week, they're not here to fix anything. They're here to work with us, with Merida bikes, and look for performance. And he mentioned that in Formula 1, the difference between fastest and slowest car is 2%. And that, that teaches you a lot about performance and McLaren will, will bring those uh, insights to our team. So I think that's the, the main uh, value of McLaren uh, coming on board. Apart from all these technolo- technological aspects and, uh, and uh, human performance, marketing is another thing. Because when you hear that McLaren is part of our cycling, that just brings the value of our team much, much more. And with that, we'll... It's just going to be like uh, uh, Avalanche will just get, you know, bigger and better sponsors. I, I think that's what's coming next for us. It's very exciting and it will be hugely interesting to see how that partnership grows. It's in its first steps in terms of its formality. But if we go right back to the start, how did that conversation first come about? And how long was it until the partnership was cemented? It all started with two people, two brothers. One of those is His Highness Sheikh Nas, and he had a vision of pursuing a dream and having an elite cycling team. As we all know, where he's a avid triathlete and he just competed uh, uh, in Kona this year. And the other person is his brother, the brother, His Royal Highness, the Crown Prince of Bahrain, who also had a dream to have a great Formula One team. Uh, as you might know he is the majority owner of McLaren. So it was their United Vision that led to this partnership. Uh, so that all happened about a year ago. I actually started a conversation with John Allard, the marketing director, uh, bouncing ideas how we can work together. And we started with some small ideas. Then in April at the uh, Grand Prix Formula One in Bahrain, my boss, John Crown Prince and Sheikh Nasser started talking about bigger picture. And then since then, it all went smoothly afterwards. And uh, we managed to keep that secret uh, all the way until till last week, till December 12, when we announced it uh, at the presentation in, uh, in Croatia. It's very exciting. I've said it a number of times. It is very exciting, not only just at the partnership level for the whole team and both organizations, but particularly for you personally. What, what are you personally most excited about? I am, from my perspective, I'm most excited about marketing involvement of McLaren. I had a privilege a few weeks ago to go to walking and uh, close to London and uh, visit the factory and offices and uh, had a meeting with design, marketing, and strategy team of McLaren. It was really, really exciting meeting. Uh, the best part was how excited they all are about this new venture and uh, how much they're willing to listen about cycling, how how much interest they show about cycling, all the questions that, are, that they ask about cycling. Uh, it wasn't just like, okay, let's let's meet for a meet's sake. No, they really show the passion. I guess that's the passion they have for 401, but they're, they're willing to, you know, use that passion for, for cycling as well. I really think that they'll bring some structure to our team as in the life cycle of a company or of a team, we went through a few different you know, phases, startup with courtship and infancy. And uh, I think as a team behind Merida, we are now at the go-go stage, which is rapid growth stage. Nothing can go wrong. Let's do it. You know, we can do it all, attitude kind of thing. But we are at a point to enter at the, at the salon stage, uh, where company or, or team, in our case, take 
takes more structure form. So from my perspective, I'm really excited about working with McLaren to set up that, that structure. Uh, and from sponsorship point of view, I think with the addition of McLaren, we should adjust our sponsorship strategy to aim to attract more premium sponsors, companies in high fashion, jewelry, and similar companies. And, you know, with the, with the name McLaren that brings to our team, I think those, those companies will, uh, come forward and, and, you know, answer our, uh, quotes or even come by themselves and, and call us to be, to partner with us. So, yeah. This partnership for me really is exciting as, uh, uh, I think we have a lot, lot to learn from McLaren. You spoke about the passion McLaren have shown in these early stages about the partnership and cycling itself is known for very passionate fans who are known to follow a race around day after day, multiple locations. They'll set up on the side of the road for long periods of time and only get to see the cyclists for a little bit. How do you work with sponsors to engage those passionate cycling fans? I'm glad you asked that question because cycling... Similar like Formula One, we, we have, I would say, let's say, two challenges, two disadvantages compared to other team sports. First one is that we don't have a home. We don't have a stadium, arena, gym, whatever that we can call home. And we don't have, we don't have that place where we can have all our fans at one time and uh, offer our sponsor, sponsors access to our fans in that particular time at this, at this particular space. The second disadvantage is that Although we are team sport, fans tend to follow cyclists, or in Formula One case, riders or drivers, not not teams. So, uh, just example, if you look at social media numbers, our best rider, Vincenzo Nibali, has over a million followers on three major platforms, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, Twitter. While at the same time, we as a team have 170,000. Uh, yeah, we are a fairly new, new team, only two years old, but similar cases between riders and some older teams. So those are two big disadvantages. So now when when we exhibit the problem, what's the solution? Uh, we have to understand that we're not only a sport, but also entertainment. So we're not only competing with other sports, we're co- competing with any entertainment. We need to make our fans interested in our sports. Sport. Uh, we have to admit that cycling races can be boring sometimes especially if it's flat stage that is going to culminate with like, you know, the last two minutes of a sprint and, and the whole stage goes for five hours. But I guess that's a problem with, with something that UCI needs to tackle. Uh, we do try to work with each sponsor individually and see what their goals are. Uh, we, we tend to use social media because we don't have this stadium, as I said, and uh, that is that is where our fans hang out usually at social media. We can talk to them during the races and all around the races. Uh, then we give space to our sponsors to be uh, noticed to our fans without disturbing fans thinking it's advertising. So, for example, we started a game at uh, at social media called Lucky Thirteen, which on every thirteen of the month, one of our sponsors gives five presents. Uh, so let's say. Rudy Project gives five sunglasses or any other sponsors give whatever they are, they, they have as a product. And then we organize a game for fans to get uh, involved. And we had a lot of interaction, like more interaction in those games than any other uh, post that we have. And uh, uh, the sponsors are happy because a lot of people are uh, around these social media channels and and watching the game and and, not, and interacting with the game and uh, so that's that's one one way uh, I think in in this area we have a lot to develop I really think we are uh, not as good as uh, some other sports that have their arena uh, but. We have similar issue with Formula One, so I think we can uh, maybe we can get some help from McLaren on the, with that issue. Uh, also, last year we attempted to start a fan club. Uh, we made a major mistake that we started fan club in April, which was way too late for a fan club that results around cycling season. And in that fan club, we engaged some new partners in Bahrain, particularly that would 
give discounts to, uh, for the fan members. Uh, with this fan club in Bahrain, we also picked another box, gain more local fans. But as I said, it wasn't successful. And now we learn, we understood the issues, we learn from those issues, and uh, we hope we'll work with McLaren and use their experience as they have their own fan club and make our fan club much better. So there, there are a few things that we're working on, how to, you know, engage sponsors and fans uh, together. But as I said, you know, there's two major issues that we need to over- overcome first. And what about unique opportunities and benefits? Social media and fan clubs are fairly common things that rights holders will offer sponsors and engage fans, obviously. And But most riders, most rights holders, sorry, also have some unique opportunities and benefits for sponsors. In other words, football teams can offer things that, as you said, cycling teams can't and vice versa, like signage in a stadium and activations around a precinct. What do you think are some of the unique benefits that a cycling team can offer sponsors that maybe other rights holders can't? Yes, I I did say what's uh, not going in our favor, but one thing that is going in our favor in our sport is that you can really come close to the field of play of field of racing, yeah, and you can touch, which I don't encourage riders while they're climbing the mountain. Uh, you can't do that in any other sport that I know. Uh, and also, before the race, all the team buses and riders are at the start line, maybe two over two hours before the start, and there they're warming up and uh, they're really easily approachable. So with that knowledge, we selected hospitality as main area to engage our sponsors. Uh, in statistics, hospitality, in cycling, uh, more than 75% targeted clients accept the invitation to, to cycling events for hospitality. So what we did first year at uh, Giro d'Italia in 2017, that was our first year of racing, and that was actually 100 years of uh, Giro d'Italia. We organized, uh, apart from the bus that we that riders used to go from stage to stage, we had another bus, just hospitality bus. And we invited a uh, majority of our sponsors, uh, of course, if they, majority of them accepted, especially all those Italian sponsors. They would come to a few of those stages, depending which one is close to them there. Some of them would come to multiple stages. We had a, a mascot. We had two, uh, what do you call them, uh, two hostesses. Uh, and uh, we gave all the sponsors a present. Uh, we always had uh, two riders selected to go before the race to sponsors, sponsor bus and uh, have a coffee with sponsors or sit with them and, and just have a chit chat uh, privately while all the sponsors had a uh, freedom to roam around this area. Uh, and, you know, take photos, selfies, whatever with, with, with drivers. They really enjoyed that. Uh, and at the end, what we did for the sponsors to, to cap the whole experience, uh, we published a book that was full of the photos from, from those 21 stages. Oh, wow. With sponsors, topics. Yes. And the book, uh, was, it was, each sponsor got the same book, but we changed the cover based on the photo of that sponsor. So for, I don't know, the Rudy Project, we put a photo of a Rudy Project guy with Nibali or with Hostess or some of the good photos on the cover. So when they put it on a coffee table, you know, you can see them with Nibali. And that's something that, you know, they, they love because they can share with their partners, with their clients. Oh, yeah, this is with the people I met either. So, uh, yeah, that was one of, one of the good cases of how to do hospitality, hospitality right. I absolutely love that idea of the book because not only is it a great personal touch, but it's not something that you're given by a rights holder that's kind of cool, but to be honest, in a couple of years, it'll probably end up in the bin. That is something that those people are going to keep absolutely forever whether they are a sponsor of the team or not so congratulations i think that's that's a fantastic thing to give a sponsor what about activations if we look at a specific sponsor tell us about your favorite sponsor activation that you've done with a brand while working for the team apart from this giro which i think was really successful i think what i enjoyed working most that i think it uh 
benefits a lot was working with the Bahrain tourism. Uh, we did 360 video for them. So uh, I wish I could give you a link now to so that you can see the video. Uh, but basically what we did when we had team here over for presentation every year, we had presentation at Sheikh Nasser's office. Uh, so when we had the whole team here at presentation, we uh, wanted to make video that will uh, use our team, our cyclists, to promote Bahrain. So the whole idea, the whole concept was that uh, riders go around the main areas of touristic areas of Bahrain to kind of uh, showcase this those areas with 360 camera on their helmet. So it all started. Actually, this was also good because we involved another sponsor, another partner of us, at least here in Bahrain, which uh, we we talked about before about hotels. So we have a few hotels here as the partners, but only in Bahrain, so it's not visible on our buses and trucks and cars. Uh, so we started the video with uh, one rider picking up his helmet from the hotel room, from the really great, big, best hotel room in that hotel, and... Uh, you know, cut few scenes and he's out of the hotel and he's cycling around this hotel in like beach area. And then next scene, he's in, uh, let's say, in uh, Bab Bahrain area, which is like center of Bahrain. And on the side road, another rider, rider joins him and they cycle together to that area while the 360 video on, on helmet is filming all around. Then they move to another, to, to Grand Mosque and the third rider comes and join them. And so five, six uh, sightseeing places later, you know, six riders are together and they, they're they all riding together through those uh, sightseeing places of behind. In the video, you can, we also put a description, so graphics about each that place. So each building has like a, you know, the square, so this is this building and it's, you know, some facts about the buildings, about the uh, castle, museums, whatever. And then the last uh, scene is uh, organized a ride, ride with a team kind of thing. And there was like 300 people that joined that ride. So the last scene is we had the team coming on a step one truck from one way and 300 people riding inside of the track, joining the team and kept riding an F1 track in behind with 360 looking around. It's, it's amazing video. Uh, Bahrain Tourism uses it for all the uh, trade shows that they go and they give you 3D glasses and you put those 3D glasses and, and you watch this, uh, I think it's four minute video about, uh, you know, Bahrain Tourism. So I really enjoy working this project. I really think this project is uh, has great use for Bahrain Tourism. And yeah, I hope for more projects like this. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I might, uh, I'll chase you up after the show on the email so that we can provide a link uh, to the listeners because that sounds really cool. Is there much collaboration and sharing of knowledge with other pro cycling teams? For example, does the UCI lead and help teams grow and learn on the sponsorship and commercial front? Or is it quite siloed and you don't really interact with other teams on the sponsorship front? I think sponsorship is the area that teams uh, cooperate the least between each other. As much as we are rivals on the road, teams are also trying to get upper hand on sponsors as well. Uh, UCI, as a head organization of cycling, in my opinion, is conservative organization. Sometimes that is a good thing to preserve heritage, but there are some issues, you know, that that we need to look at and and you know change. So for, from a sponsorship perspective, uh, I have one example that uh, would like to change in cycling. Uh, so cycling season ends, let's say, mid-October. First training camp starts sometimes in December. We just had one in, in Croatia. And we signed some new riders. For us, eight new riders. We lost some riders. They went to different teams. Uh, the rule for UCR is that they can wear New Jersey, so our New Jersey on the training camp. Uh, they have to wear their own old one. So for us to, this is the only time we have all the riders together. What I would like to do is, you know, 
uh, take few cars and, and bikes and go around for a ride, take some photos with the riders and have those photos to use for sponsorship purposes later. But I can't because there's, you know, a few riders in the group that have different jersey. And it's such a simple thing to change, but nobody's changing it. For example, in Formula One, last race was just a few weeks ago in Abu Dhabi. And the uh, day after the race, Carlos Sainz, who used to ride that day before for Renault, was in McLaren gear, driving McLaren around the same track day after. If Formula One can do that, why can't we? So those are some small things that, you know, should be changed, could be changed, could at least look into to, to change to help us get more sponsorship, get better, uh, you know, details that we can help promote us and, and have some, you know, simple things like photos that we can uh, use for, for sponsorship presentation. So, uh, I, to answer your question, Fairman, I don't think there's too much sharing knowledge between pro teams in sponsorship. Uh, although it's, we should, we all, you know, should all learn from each other. But yeah, UCR should also help in that case and, uh, and, and, make some changes to, to help us do our job. So it's not very coordinated, the helping each other and the changes seem quite slow. So you're kind of left on your own to to innovate and, and learn. But do you closely watch other pro cycling teams and see what they're doing in the sponsorship space? Or do you go away, right away from cycling and look more outside cycling for new ideas and approaches? And if so, where do you take your inspiration from? Truth, I don't look at other cycling teams. Maybe I only peek at Team Sky because they're they they used to be, or at least up till this year, uh, you know, the top level, and you can learn from them. But I'm trying to think outside of the box and look for inspiration elsewhere. So American sports like NFL, MLB, hockey, NHL, and NBA, as well as AFL, Aussie Rules, those are my inspirations. Maybe NRL as well. I really love how organized and structured those associations and clubs inside associations are. For example, I love Grand Final Parade that AFL has. And not only the parade, but the whole week leading into the Grand Final with all those events, breakfast, and everything that is happening. I, I really think that's great sponsorship opportunity, not only for Grand Finalists, but for all, all the other teams. And just in recent news, I love the new NRL Magic Round that we'll see all the games played in, I think, Brisbane over one week next year, and then the venue will change every year. But this is, that, that will create a great rugby league festival. All the fans will come at one venue, and it's some, something different, you know, and it's, it's going to be great for, for uh, the tourism of that, you know, state or, or city where they are. I, I think it's, it's going to be awesome. Uh, it's awesome innovation. So how to apply this to cycling? I mean, every race for us is cycling festival, and we have this, but somehow we need to turn the table and see how, how we can do something different than what we have now. We have to look at some new trends. For example, esports. Esports are making huge progress, and uh, can cycling tap into that market? E-cycling wouldn't be the... the game like people play with consoles uh, e-cycling is a bit different it's uh, indoor booster that you put your bike on and then you hook it up on the screen then you, you can you know let's say put a real stage of Tour de France and then uh, based on the gradient of, of uh, uphill downhill that's how hard it's going to be for you to cycle and then you can compete with each other no matter of the location so I think, you know, there's something brewing there, something could be done, and are we the team that are going to do something first, or who's going to, you know, tap this market? Are we ready for this? Uh, you know, many questions, but uh, yeah, I do look for inspiration elsewhere, and cycling uh, is such a small market, and then close that, you know, you need to look, look outside of the box, and think outside of the box, and, and look somewhere else. 
there's lots of opportunities, particularly with your new partnership. So the whole world will be watching with anticipation to see how you capitalize on that. Kolya, if listeners want to find out more about Bahrain Marita Pro Cycling Team or get in contact with you directly, what can they do? They can reach us through our website, which is uh, com, or on our social media. Well, I can be reached at uh, my first name, so K-O-L-J-A, at BahrainCyclingTeam.com. Or we can be reached at the races. You know, sometimes it gets hectic when we're in, in Italy with Nibali. There's so many fans around and we put like barriers, you know, fans can reach only to some point. But at most of the races, uh, especially in Eastern, Middle Eastern races or some smaller races, uh, we're really approachable, really easy to reach. You just come by team bus and uh, you can talk to anyone. You just, you know, uh, everybody's wel- welcoming you. We, we like when people come and ask questions and uh, and want to know more about cycling. So, yeah, you know, if you're approachable, come see us at the races or, or drop me an email and I'm happy, I'm happy to answer whatever you're interested in. That's outstanding, listeners, because if the, the, the team travels right across the world, so if they do visit your area or region, then be sure to take the time out to uh, go and visit Collier and the team. I'm sure he'll show you around, and if he uh, is feeling thirsty, he might even buy you one of those berry milkshakes. Collier Korachuk, brand director, thank you so much for taking us inside sponsorship at Bahrain Merida Pro Cycling Team. Uh, actually, it's my pleasure and honour to be part of this podcast I'm uh, I've been a listener of this podcast for a while and next time when you come to Bahrain I'll treat you with this uh, milkshake <laughs> very blah. Uh I'm glad I could share how we tackle sponsorship issue at our team at our sport it's I hope you you could understand also the culture of the team and and any insight of the, about the sports I also want to wish you all the great holiday season coming up and uh, bring on the 2019 cycling I really enjoyed that chat with Collier. Super interesting, and I trust you got lots out of it as well. After the show, Collier was good enough to chase up that 360-degree video he mentioned, and I've put that in the show notes at sponsor.net. So be sure to check it out. It is really awesome. That's a wrap for episode 65 of Inside Sponsorship. I hope you enjoyed it. And also, don't forget, if you'd like a shout-out, just get in contact and I will make that happen for you. I really would love to hear from you. Or if you're too shy, help us feel special and leave us a review on iTunes. If you want to connect with me, you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston or drop me an email at daniel at sponserve.net or on Twitter using the handle at Sponserve. And if you want to connect with Sponserve's commercial manager, Australasia, Daniel Ferguson Hill, you can catch him on daniel.ferguson at coresoftware, K-O-R-E, software.com or search for him on LinkedIn. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Sponserve. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes, blogs and resources, head to sponserve.net or search for Sponserve on Facebook, Twitter or LinkedIn.